I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 25 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about economics and Thanksgiving. Well, I hope that everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving. We actually do our big family meal the Friday after, so I'm recording this while many of you are enjoying turkey and all the trimmings, or whatever it is that you enjoy on Thanksgiving. So yesterday, I had a little exchange with somebody on Facebook that reignited an ongoing frustration of mine, and that's how few people have even a rudimentary grasp on basic economics. I know, I know, it's boring, but it's so important because economic realities underlie virtually every political decision. If you don't understand basic economics, you're going to get a whole lot of things wrong. And believe me, in the United States today, we are getting a whole lot of things wrong. But here's the thing. Economics really isn't that boring, nor is it particularly complicated. I think most people's eyes glaze over at the mention of economics because they envision numbers and equations and and charts and graphs. I blame all of this on those college econ 101 classes a lot of us had to take. That's pretty much how economics is taught these days. Now, numbers are certainly part of the equation, pun intended, but equations aren't the basis of economics. Really, economics is about human behavior. Economists study how people act. They study human action. It's about priorities and incentives. It's about allocating resources in a world of scarcity. So back to this Facebook exchange. I posted a story the other day about how Obamacare is basically in the process of collapsing. The nation's biggest health insurer may well pull out of the exchanges because it can't operate within the financial environment the Health Care Act has created. This isn't any kind of surprise. I mean, basically, it's economics. So I posted this article, and I made the point that far too many people in this world think wishful thinking and good intentions trump economic laws. They don't. In other words, you can't negate economics because you want to do something good. Well, a friend of mine responded by posting an article about how Obamacare has increased early cervical cancer detection in young women. 
This is what he said. This news is positively affecting people's lives. I find this more impressive than some business whining about their inability to crack the low-end marketplace. Unquote. Okay, great. I'm glad that women are being diagnosed with cervical cancer early so they can be treated. This is a good thing. Until the whole process collapses, which is exactly what it's in the process of doing. Obamacare is economically unsustainable. So for whatever great benefits you might point to, there are all kinds of horrible unintended consequences going on. People's insurance rates are rising. People can't use the same doctors that they used to. There's all kinds of things that are going on behind the scenes that are negative. So you can't just point to the good things. But all my friend really cares about is that some people are being helped. Economics be damned. Well, the real world doesn't work like that. You can dream unicorns and lollipops all day long, but it won't change reality. Murray Rothbard summed up perfectly my response to people like my friend. This is what Rothbard said. It's no crime to be ignorant of economics, which is, after all, a specialized discipline and one that most people consider to be a dismal science. But it is totally irresponsible to have a loud and vociferous opinion on economic subjects while remaining in this state of ignorance. End quote. Well, Thanksgiving and the actual experience of the pilgrims provides a wonderful economic lesson that can help lift that veil of ignorance. The pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts on November 11, 1620, but didn't really settle in until December. The conditions were miserable, as William Bradford described it. That which was most sad and lamentable was that in two or three months' time, half of their company died, especially in January and February, being the depth of winter and wanting houses and other comforts, being infected with scurvy and other diseases, so as there died sometimes two or three a day. In the aforesaid time, that of one hundred and odd persons, scarce fifty remained. The pilgrims placed all of their food and provisions in what they called a common store. It was set up on the socialist principle of, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. It's one of those utopian ideas that my friend would love. The following fall, they had their first harvest, and it all went into the common store. In November, the ship Fortune arrived with more than 30 new settlers, mostly young men. But according to accounts, they brought, quote, not so much as a biscuit cake with them. The future looked bleak as food supplies ran out and the planned socialist community began to starve again. The following year, the harvest was poor in spite of the added manpower. Nevertheless, the pilgrims put their meager harvest in the common store. That winter, they starved. The colonists were learning economics the hard way. In The Incredible Bread Machine, Richard Grant writes, For two years, the pilgrims faithfully practiced communal ownership of the means of production and for two years nearly starved to death, rationed at times to but a quarter of a pound of bread a day to each person. Governor Bradford wrote that famine must still ensue the next year also, if not some way prevented. He described how the colonists finally decided to introduce the institution of private property. The colonists began to think how they might raise as much corn as they could and obtain a better crop than they had done, that they might not still thus languish in misery. 
After much debate of things, the governor, with the advice of the chiefest among them, gave way that they should set down every man for his own, and to trust themselves. So assigned to every family a parcel of land. This had very good success, for it made all hands very industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could use, and gave far better content. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before would allege weakness and inability, whom to have compelled would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. Reflecting on the experience of the previous two years, Bradford goes on to describe the folly of communal ownership. The experience that was had in this common course of condition tried sundry years, and that amongst godly and sober men may well invince the vanity of that conceit of Plato's and other ancients, applauded by some of latter times, that the taking away of property and bringing in community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing, as if they were wiser than God. For this community, so far as it was, was found to breed much confusion and discontent, and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. For the young men that were most able and fit for labor and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without any recompense. The strong, or man of parts, had no more in division of victuals and clothes than he that was weak and not able to do a quarter the other could. This was thought injustice. Scarcity, human behavior, incentives. The experience of the pilgrims vividly demonstrates basic economic principles. Their good intentions could not overpower the cold, hard realities of economic principles. They never have, and they never will. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and spread the word. Make sure you head over to iTunes if you haven't and subscribe to the show. And feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.